0: Okay, so I made myself some caramel slice this week. Fuck yes! Which, as you know, like I love slice and and all things really sweet. And then I was like, I wonder if Ruth prefers caramel slice over other slices. And I think you would appreciate this in a way that not many other people do because slices are my favorite type of sweet. Yep. What is your favorite slice? Yeah,
1: it probably would be caramel slice. Oh, really? You yeah. basic
0: bitch. Yeah, I am basic. Do you like Mars bar slice? Like, to be honest, I don't know that I've had that much
1: of an array of slices. Oh, no. I've had, like, our friend Rosie makes a lot of slices. I've had her mint one a lot.
0: Oh, yeah, she makes a good mint one. Yeah. Do you know what I think it is? I think it's because I grew up in the country and my nan is literally, like, a card-carrying member of the Country Women's Association. Where all they do is just make cakes and slices. Yeah. So I've had all the slices.
1: My grandma used to make a very good, like, a lemon slice. Yum. Now that I think about it, I think what you would call what she made more of a bar. You know how sometimes they call them bars right? Yes. slices and I don't what's really know what's the what, main difference though? I don't really know but I think that's what you would call it
0: hmm well are I'm you... not calling it that hi
1: Ruth hi Josephine how are you I'm great how are you quite well quite well hmm
0: Uh, Welcome, everyone, to My Favourite Musical. Indeed. That's Josephine. That's Ruth. And it's a podcast all about musicals. That's right, Ruth. Well done. We've got some good ones this week. As opposed to last week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did talk about what did they do in I do remember you,
1: you started off when you were like, talking of bad stuff (laughs) like that was like your intro to the podcast it
0: is bad although you know i was listening to i don't i think it was like one of your musical playlists yeah and i got to the end of it and the first song that spotify recommended was willow from venice it
1: just wants it's like it knows you have to love that song and
0: you do it's so good
1: i will say um uh, a friend of ours wrote to me afterwards because you know how we said for forum we were like i don't know if it's on apple music and it's not on apple music in australia it's on apple music in other countries the Fuck. 1996 Broadway revival recording with Nathan Lane. <laughs> and so I was just like, of course. So we can add the 1996 Broadway revival of Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum to our list of things Spotify has to add. Has snubbed. In Australia. Yeah. But we can
0: take off Sunday in Park with George, yes. the original Broadway cast. Thank it's you, like Spotify. It's like we've got to trade
1: them. We'll tell them what they can have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What can return. they have? They can have any of the recordings of like any.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, Grease, yep. just any of them. Yep. Lots of those. <laughs> uh, okay, sorry, everyone. This is my favorite musical. We start off with an apology, Ruth. Well, that was kind of my apology. Oh, okay. So it was more good. like an update. Okay. Yeah. Nice. I don't have any myself. Goodo. Do you have a spotlight? I do. Um, this, And I actually
1: kind of can't believe we haven't talked about these guys before. Okay. So um, obviously in the wake of uh, the George Floyd um, murder last year in the middle of 2020 and the subsequent, like, really rising of the Black Lives Matter movement, lots of organisations kind of sprung up or got bigger that mm. specifically had to do with inequality within the theatre industry. Yes. And we've talked about quite a few of those before, um, and we might have even mentioned these guys in talking about other things. But I don't. We haven't sort of specifically done a spotlight on them. So, that, so they're called Black Theatre Coalition, and um, they. Their statement basically is to remove the illusion of inclusion in the American theatre by building a sustainable ethical roadmap that will increase employment opportunities for black theatre professionals. Our vision is to reshape the working ecosystem for those who have been marginalised by systemically racist and biased ideology. And uh, what's great about them is it's like kind of specifically about uh, like not performers, but, uh, like the the actual like behind the scenes workers in theatre, yeah. which as uh, like Josephine and I have talked about a lot on the podcast, is kind of the issue. Like like if you don't have theater makers being diverse, then your casts also aren't going to be diverse and your audiences aren't going to be diverse. Like the stories have to be like from the ground up diverse kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So specifically their aim is to increase work opportunities for black theater professionals by 500% over the next 10 years. And they were founded by Warren Adams, who's a composer and he was also the choreographer of Motown on Broadway. Oh, nice. And, uh, and also t oliver reed who's a broadway performer has been in lots of broadway shows and he's currently in hadestown nice um it was founded in 2019 and then in june 2020 obviously when the george floyd pro- protests and everything happened they brought on um, a man called reggie van lee who's considered like one of the top consultants in the world like like really high in his field and he's the chief transformation officer at the carlisle group which is a really big in- Investment firm, so like definitely like the most successful Black consultant in the world, like 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 incredible. Does incredible work. That's a
0: cool job title too. Chief
1: transformation officer. I know. I want to be a chief
0: transformation officer. Incredible.
1: So they really brought him to sort of like kick things up, you know? Yeah, good. Um, Kick things up a notch. So another board member is um aletha stevens who's the chief operating officer at spotco so spotco is like one of broadway's biggest advertising agencies and she's the highest ranking person of color in the broadway advertising industry um and they you know they do a bunch of things they have a database um on their website for black theater professionals um they're partnering with broadway records on a new album titled black riders amplified um and they announced. this is what we may have talked about before i think but they announced um some months ago now, a partnership with the producers of the um, Broadway revival of Stephen Sondheim's company to initiate 10 paid apprenticeships for young black men and women. Yeah, nice. Um, And the company internships will represent every department of the production. So, And they've also made sort of similar arrangements with um, Disney Theatrical and MCC Theatre. So that's kind of the idea, like really like getting some of these big, productions and organisations to commit to having like paid opportunities for like young black theatre professionals, basically. And Love I just it. think that like, I kind of can't believe we haven't spoken about them because if anything, I think that that is some of the most important work that's being done. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Wow.
0: Yeah. I, um, I've definitely like heard us mention it or we've met, like I've mentioned it myself, yeah. but had not really engaged, I suppose, in what they're doing. Mm.
1: And, yeah. Quite incredible. Really yeah. incredible. So, anyway go check them out
0: thanks for that absolutely um okay my spotlight today is a bit of an announcement so on the 9th of march this year the schubert organization announced a new initiative which aims to support early to mid-career bipoc theater producers who like who currently have works in development and so like we see and i've we've already talked about a few of these sort of initiatives like scholarships or grants or whatever that have felt a bit tokenistic in in sort of the last year from from big organisations. But this one sort of grabbed me for a few reasons. So some of the support that this initiative offers could include spaces for readings or workshops, roundtables and networking events, video and technological expertise and equipment, office space, contacts in the industry, mentors and financial assistance. So with the type of assistance sort of needed determined by the creatives themselves and sort of what the project needs and what stage it's at right and I actually love that this initiative is not just throwing money around like it's understanding that different producers and projects need different things to help them get over yeah. the line yeah. rather than and also understanding that early career people generally don't have the know-how to get things off the ground so they might not just need money like yeah they need connections or they need mentorship
1: yeah, or, exactly yeah. or
0: space like literal office space so yeah. I actually really love how how thoughtful that initiative is and obviously so it's just for um BIPOC and I love that it's only early to mid-career BIPOC um producers so yeah I really love it I've linked to um some more information about the project if you're just interested in reading about it applications are open now if it applies to you but um I'm sure it doesn't apply to you <laughs> but yeah it was i thought it was really cool yeah yeah hmm. absolutely
1: that's very cool yeah um what's our theater explain for the week
0: it, it, we're going to talk about previews versus opening night indeed yeah i'm actually so scarred by the week that i fucked it up so i'm not sure ever <laughs> that is what we're talking about <laughs> Good, thank god um well i'm just gonna jump yeah, in do so it. we've discussed this before many many times but previews are public performances that precede the official opening of a show yeah and they, they use, i suppose like back in the day it used to be really easily definable and now the lines are sort of blurring a bit but what i have is basically a preview allows like the director and the crew or the creatives to identify problems before critics are invited to the show yeah Um, technically. So the duration of previews can vary. Sometimes tickets are cheaper, although not lately. Tickets are generally about the same. Um, Back in the old days, they used to be a little cheaper. These days too, the previews generally last longer than they have traditionally. Yeah, definitely. Um, As we've discussed when we've covered sort of golden age shows, previews were really like out of town so you would go to an out of town theater and and preview there like new haven or whatever or boston
1: and they might only have like a week of previews yeah when they come and in. then you would like open yeah. on broadway like yeah. you would
0: just go to broadway to open but now shows try out out of town then preview on broadway before officially opening so it's just a much longer process um now too, critics are generally invited to attend late in the preview period so that the review can come out for opening night. So yeah. rather than the previews being sort of free of critics. And it
1: used to be that the critics would come on opening night yeah. and then like rush home and write their yeah. like you know, um, put their review to print kind yeah. of thing. And
0: now too I think critics are more likely to go to a couple of previews to yes, get a good right. sense of the they show. They often go
1: to more than one. Yeah. yeah. Well they're certainly
0: invited to attend more than yeah. one. Um But I found some interesting facts. Did you want to say anything before I tell you my facts? No,
1: yeah, go for it. Well,
0: so um, the longest preview period of any show was Spider-Man Turn of the Dark, which previewed for 182 performances. Wow,
1: that's insane. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy.
0: Another – Another sort of interesting fact is that some shows, there is this sort of sense that if a show does poorly in previews, it's not really going to go anywhere. Mm. But some really successful shows have done pretty poorly in previews. So, for example, um, the Nathan Lane revival of Guys and Dolls, which I spoke about yeah. at length in that episode, is one example. It was incredibly um panned during its previews and was just a huge success once it opened and as we know it ran for like I think it was like 1600 performances I
1: actually read a story about that recently yeah. um, it was in a book I was reading in that um uh that recent Michael Riedel book yeah and they were talking about how actually they think a lot of that had to do with the performances yes and they basically like um the director was just like you've got to be super truthful like it like the stuff that's happening to you is funny yeah but but they were like hamming it up too much kind of thing and people weren't responding to it yeah Yeah. it's
0: really interesting i think there was one cast change but the majority of the cast stayed the same yeah they just yeah had to like shape up yep but um there are obviously some shows do die in previews and don't ever properly open like that is definitely a thing yeah for sure um, yeah do you have anything to add oh and just that like
1: whilst so there's there's a a period where, like, often if it's a brand new show, like changes are still being made during the day. So, like, the cast are rehearsing with the production yeah. team during the day and then performing those changes in the evening. It's so tough, yeah. Hey? It must be insane. And then that they basically they sort of decree a show to be frozen. Yeah. That's the term that they use. And then once it's frozen, that's when the critics can come. Yeah. And it may be that actually, like, so a show gets frozen so that that the cast get used to doing that version of the show, right? Yeah. And so that is what the critics see. That is what opening night is. But it may be then that changes may be made after that. It's just that, like, they need it to be sort of cemented so that when critics come and see it, they're seeing a somewhat of a polished show. Yeah, Yeah. In fact,
0: my musical... Um, that I'm talking about today is sort of in that boat. where, okay. Yeah. It changed it again. It changed after. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's about it I think. That's cool. Yeah. I find it really interesting that now we have longer and longer previews than we have before. yeah. Like- I find that really fascinating. Of tech. Do you think like technical elements? And I stuff? do wonder about that. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm sure that would be part of it.
0: Do you think, um, as an actor, you would be paid the same for a preview as you would for a yes, run? Yes, I
1: would have thought so. Because it'd just be your contracted rate for the mm. for the show. Because a
0: part, like a really cynical part of me, wonders if maybe you get paid like a slightly different rate for a preview. If anything, you'd
1: probably get paid more because you're also rehearsing during the day and well, it would probably be if, a separate rate.
0: I wondered if it was just part of the rehearsal period. Mm, anyway. No, I don't think I'm so. I'm just being very cynical. Remember how
1: strong the... The unions are over there. Like, yes. yeah. yeah, It's, it's true. not. It's not Australia.
0: <laughs> like, that's right. I forget. Some people get paid. Yeah. Um, Ruth, do you have any recommendations? Yes.
1: Just one this week. I've Me decided too. to stop putting pressure on myself to give two every week. Good So on I just you. have one. Um, it's actually though. It is a series of seven articles. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. It's, um, the- you didn't want to stretch it out over no, seven that's different right.
1: episodes. Theater did um, this oral history of the Broadway shutdown. So it's in seven parts and it's basically like, you know, an oral history is where they interview a bunch of people and it's all sort of interspersed, um, little tidbits like of stories and it's just kind of like what happened from like you know when covid shut down broadway Mm. you know just over a year ago now and up until like what people were doing during like people have been doing
0: experiences exactly and like lots of
1: different depart like like performers and like different departments yeah yeah, and stuff like that and and literally uh, it was particularly interesting to read that period where covid was sort of hitting but it was still say three weeks before they shut down the shows yeah. where it was like, you know, they stopped, people weren't allowed to stage door anymore and there was obviously hand sanitizer everywhere. And, you know, people were starting to wear masks like on the subway or whatever, but it wasn't like no one ever thought the shows would shut down, yeah, you wow. know? So yeah, those was, I think those stories were particularly interesting. Like even just that, a lot of people, you know, not knowing that their last show was their last show. Mm. Like we lots would have of that. such
0: different feelings about that period of time now, yeah. knowing how long it's been shut down. Well, and like... so
1: and so many Broadway people got sick afterwards, yeah. and just didn't didn't even think, or had had it and didn't even and think didn't about know it. Or, yeah, yeah, Gosh. yeah. So that's, that's fascinating. Crazy. Yeah, Ooh,
0: I'm going to check that out. Yeah,
1: it's really good.
0: Well, mine is slightly different. I'm going to team with the theme of my musical this week. Excellent. Um, I want to recommend. This This really cute ITV documentary called The Making of the Witches of Eastwick, which is an inspired title, I think. Like, what else would you call a documentary (laughs) about The Making of the Witches of Eastwick? Um, It gives you just a really excellent look into the show, but it's also just a doco about a musical. And like, who doesn't want to watch that? I love those. (laughs) You can watch it in three parts on YouTube. I won't link to it because I'm pretty sure it's not entirely legal, but it is... (laughs) Delightful. If it was
1: just on TV or something.
0: Yeah, so it's ITV, which I know is like a free-to-air station, but even then, like, you can't just rip shit and put yeah, it on like, YouTube, right? It's like the
1: person who uploaded it could be sent a copy, but it's it's not like copyright a bootleg, jail. do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. No, well,
0: that's it. It's not, yeah. that's it. So it's just like it's a grey area that I'm not going to step into. <laughs> just, just Google it. Just Google it. But it's like it is a delightful doco, so you hear from all the major players, um, Cameron McIntosh, etc., etc. Get amongst it. It's yeah, really lovely. Sure, mm. and that can
1: segue well into you starting to talk.
0: Indeed. Ruth, do you want to hear about The Witches of Easter? I do. Okay, yes. It's another Roe and Dempsey show.
1: Yes, after Zombie Prom. <laughs>
0: yeah, so you may remember those names from Zombie Prom, um, which was many, many episodes ago. Yeah. Like, I covered that one early. Yeah. For good reason.
1: Yes, because we love it.
0: <laughs> this show is much more widely known, but I think actually not quite up to like the magical standard of Zombie Prom. Um, that like, opinion is definitely not a popular opinion.
1: Right. Like yes. you don't think it's as good a musical as Zombie Prom? I
0: don't actually. Okay, interesting. Um, I think it's a very strong musical. Like yeah. I love The Witches of Eastwick, yeah. but I love Zombie Prom more and yeah. I actually love things about Zombie – anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no one cares. Do you like this show? So I don't really know it to be uh, honest. Like I know,
1: I know a few of the songs. I've never seen it. No, well, you wouldn't. Um, and, But like for example, I, I know Zombie Prom a hell of a lot better than I know Witches of Eastwick, which again Correct. is not a – Not a common occurrence (laughs) for a musical theatre person. Uh, But, yeah, no, I I honestly don't know it very well. Yeah,
0: interesting. I love this show. I really love it. I always have. I can't believe it's taken me this long to talk about it, considering that last week I discussed a musical that I don't even really like. Like, (laughs) why? No one knows. Um, So the background for me is that this woman who directed me in a musical when I was, like, about 14 introduced me to the cast recording of this show. Right. And I fell in love with it because I think she was in love with it it okay and so she was just like an influential adult in my yep. life at the time so yep. I was like well I love it too but now I actually love it so being the proper nerd that I was I didn't watch the film to research it I read the original book mm-hmm. so here's like 14 15 year old me listening to the soundtrack and then reading soundtrack cast recording and then reading this book the book is not appropriate reading for a child oh really okay definitely yes not that that ever stopped me like I remember my mum and dad being like because i used to go to the library every week and like bring back bags and bags of books yeah i remember once my dad going like are you reading this and i can't i think it was like lady Chatterley's lover or yeah. something like that and i was like yep what of it like what are you gonna do yeah
1: and- did you ever have those moments i remember there was one time and i can't remember how old i was but i was reading this book you know because you would you would just get books yeah right? like just, you like, just here's a book books. i'll read it yeah and it was essentially like a i guess like a dramatization of like a twin peaks Oh, it yeah. was like her, like the diary of Laura Palmer or whatever. Yeah. And I haven't even watched Twin Peaks, no. right? But, again, it was very adult for yeah, the age I was. Yeah, but how much of
0: it did you actually understand? Like, well, enough that I was like,
1: I don't know if I should be reading yeah. this.
0: Like, well, that's exactly what happened with Witches yeah. of Eastwick. Like, I know I didn't understand most of it, but I was like, I'm sure I shouldn't be reading yeah. this. That <laughs> didn't stop me because also, like, my parents weren't censoring my reading. No. <laughs> what bad could happen in a book? Um, anyway, so I did learn a lot about sex from the book. Though. Yeah. Thank you, John Updike. I also <laughs> learnt a lot about sexism, so also thank you, John Updike. Yeah. Um, I hadn't seen the film until really recently, so it wasn't really my introduction to the story, but I know for a lot of people it will be. Yeah. So the film is quite famous. Um, anyway, the plot. So The Witches of Eastwick is a 2000 – it's weird actually saying just 2000. Yeah. As a year. On its own. Yeah. The year 2000 book musical based on the 1984 novel of the same name by John Updike and the 1987 film of the same name starring Sher, Susan Sarandon, Michelle Pfeiffer and Jack Nicholson. What a cast. What a cast. Yeah. You will notice that I put Jack Nicholson last despite all billing that puts him first. But oh, anyway really? well yeah like it's a movie about three women yeah. why build the dude first yeah anyway so the musical is set in this fictional town called eastwick in rhode island it's basically like eastwick is this picture perfect small town that's obsessed with looks and gossip so it's a bit like stepford it's oh, a yeah. bit sort of like edward Hands, like that sort of vibe yeah. um the three female leads their names are alex jane and suki also the three witches, but, like, they're not really witches, lament that they're really bored with their current relationships and their lives and they invent, like, or they imagine the kind of man they want in their life. This man then basically just arrives in a puff of smoke in the town. Right. Um, yeah, and he is Daryl Van Horn. He is pretty much the music man's interpretation of the devil. Like, okay. if you imagine that world yeah. and cross with the devil. He meets Alex and he begins, like, this seduction of the three women. Um, the town gossips about how, like, his many sexual conquests because he basically, like, like just gets with all three of them at once. Right. And then he berates the men of Eastwick for not being able to sexually satisfy their women, which, like, good. Yeah, Um, there's this almost group sex moment with the witches and Daryl that is very rudely interrupted and they realize that he's creating too much havoc in their lives and the lives of the town. Um, There may be some light murder in there that is inspired by Daryl. It's not important, but there is a little bit of light murder. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's, treated very lightly but anyway he then goes way too far by seducing this like young orphan so the witches decide to send him back to where he came from and they use like a classic old voodoo doll to get rid of him they seemingly learn their lesson and the show ends right there's a lot of other stuff that happens in there but it's basically that so they're not witches well it's sort of like they they don't know that they're witches and then he like
1: but they've kind of conjured him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's not very, like, it's It's more like he just showed up because he's, there's these vulnerable women. Yes, Because right. clearly he is, like, the devil. And then he sort of, like, teaches them how to be witches. So he, like, gives them, in, like, ingredients in, yeah. to make whatever brew. Potions, or, yeah. And then he sort of helps them fly. Right. <laughs> but it's very clear that he is the one controlling that. Right, okay. But anyway. Yeah. The, it's. It, I think it should not be called the Witches of Eastwick, certainly. Like, I think that is misleading right okay but anyway so some background on the show this according to Cameron McIntosh himself the show began during the Mendez production of The Fix also by oh. Dempsey and Rowe. look at your face your face just lit up I,
1: well I just love that love song the the that Fix. we love from The Fix one
0: two three yeah so The Fix was their first musical yeah And so the Mendes production was happening and apparently, like, that show just wasn't very successful with critics. So Cameron McIntosh wanted to utilise the writers in creating another show because he thought they were super talented and they are. Yeah. And hopefully, like, this one that he would get them to write would just be more successful than The Fix. So he basically got this list of Warner Brothers film hits and, like, wanted them to choose one from the list to create a musical about. Uh, they chose The Witches of Eastwick and he was pretty pumped because that was also his favourite out of the list. Yeah. And they started writing and, like, within three months they had an outline and a demo for the show. Um, most of the demos actually remained in the show. Like, it was pretty. They just yep. got got to work and got, off they yep. went. Cameron McIntosh then brought on Eric Schaefer who had been working at the warehouse and was recommended to Cameron by Sondheim.
1: Yep.
0: That's right. We will mention Sondheim at any cost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They brought in the cast super early because obviously it was, like, in workshops. They had Ian McShane as Daryl. Oh, wow. From a really early, yeah, yeah, which I just think is great casting. Yeah, amazing. I love Ian McShane so much. Um, As the three witches, they had Maria Friedman as Suki. Yeah. Like, we've mentioned her so many times. She's a Sondheim player. Like, she's just. She's um, now
1: very accomplished director yeah i think is she
0: a dame maybe i don't know i don't know yeah um lucy arnaz as alex she is one of lucille ball's children i
1: am going to talk about her today as well no yes i wrote a note i was like i think you might have talked about her as well that's crazy yeah Yeah, yeah. yeah. well so
0: she was alex yeah um and joanna um reading as jane right i know it's it's spelled writing but i'm sure it's reading okay Anyway, she, listeners might know her as Jack's mother in the Into the Woods film. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she's a highly celebrated actress as well. So there was a lot of buzz around the development and initial workshops of the show and, like, that cast was pretty banging. Yeah. Cameron McIntosh was super pumped about it. Like, it, it just had a lot of buzz. And I guess this is, um she say it's 2000, 2000 that it comes out?
1: So this is, like, you know, like, Cameron McIntosh, this is post Lame like, is, this is post oh, yeah. Phantom. Like, this is. Like, was, he's
0: a super yeah. credentialed producer. Everyone's watching him, like, what are you going to do? Exactly. So, yeah, these are, these are big times. And it is it is a really big deal that he just, like, even after the fix was like, nope, Dempsey and Rowe, let's do it. Like, yeah. let's make something else. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, anyway, the show then begins previews at the Theatre Royal in Drury Lane in June 2000. It then opened in July to mixed positive reviews, I would say. Like, right. Yeah, just sort of lukewarm. It was quickly decided that it needed to transfer to the Prince of Wales, which is just like a more intimate theatre. Yeah. Um, so that happened in March 2001. Ian McShane left and some changes were made to the production to so that it would fit in the smaller theatre. And um, a number was replaced as well. A couple of things changed when it moved. And the reviews remained generally favourable throughout that, but the show closed after 17 months in December of 2001.
1: Right, okay. As
0: with a lot of musicals at the time though, the landscape really did change after 9-11. Yeah, it's Even true. Even in England. Yeah, like, and I know some people, particularly now, say that that is a classic excuse of a lot of producers at the time that, like, oh no, 9 11 changed things. But also, like they like gave it up on did. shows, you mean? Well, I think some people, just punters, think that yes, they gave up. Right. But I just think you can't discount now no, how, the world how much changed. The world changed yeah. and like it, travel changed, terrorism
1: changed. The world won't ever be the same after COVID no, either. That's like, right.
0: So I think it is a very it's very fair to say that after 9-11, like Even in London, things change. So there were some really brief talks about moving it to Broadway, but once again, 9-11 meant no, like not really. Um, Also, maybe it didn't make it to Broadway because despite being an American musical, it's quite racy. Right, like it's really sexual, and we know how conservative Broadway Can be, audiences yeah. are, particularly like twenty years ago. Yeah, um, and just well, after...
1: particularly musical theater audiences. Like, oh, I think yeah. it's not so much the case with plays. No, I agree. But like, yeah, musical theater audiences definitely. Yes,
0: and this too. I think this is a tough one because the name of it, "Witches of Eastwick," sounds so recognizable because everyone's heard of the film. Yeah, so there could be this assumption that it is. It's kosher, like yeah, like, like we can go off, Yeah, it's family friendly. It's just like it's got those neon lights. Like it's just, it's not like it's the best little whorehouse in Texas. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not really clear that. So yeah, that could be a reason why. Anyway, the original production, so the London production at the two thousand and one Olivier Awards, was nominated for best musical, but it lost to two thousand and one. Merrily we roll along. Oh, interesting. Yeah,
1: a revival of that.
0: Well the first time it went to oh was it yeah okay that's right
1: yeah right
0: and so that was the best new musical i yeah, think the one right. at the donmar that would be okay. what, what that yeah. was so yeah which makes me super happy yes um, Joanna Riding was nominated for Best Actress and it got nominations for Best Costume and Best Lighting Design but no wins uh, that year, which is a shame. There was an Australian production starring Paul McDermott. Yes, I think I knew this. Yeah. So it had Paul McDermott as Daryl, Marina Pryor, Pippa Grandison and Angela Toohey as The Three oh, Witches. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, that one opened in Melbourne in 2002 and was set to tour but it just didn't. Uh, um, the actual reason is unknown. Like I'm, I'm sure it was just money or it wasn't yeah, very popular or like whatever. Yeah, have
1: done very well, yeah.
0: It's not a cheap show to run either oh, is like, there
1: like effects is that oh the, yeah. yeah and I'm going to
0: talk about them but it's definitely not a cheap show um you can actually watch a bootleg of the Melbourne production on really? YouTube okay. you didn't hear that from me but it's actually like quite a good bootleg okay yeah and it's worth watching
1: yeah I've I've been I like I've loved Paul McDermott since I was a child. I think that he's very Uh, talented. He's so talented
0: and sexy. Yes. Um, Well, then, not so much now. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So then there were like a few productions in a range of countries. There was one in Russia, the Czech Republic, um, Brazil, Slovenia, Austria, Norway, Poland, and yet no Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. So some talking points. The witches fly at the end of Act 1, the three witches, and the way that they flew was pretty groundbreaking at the time. So they didn't just want the witches to, like, Peter Pan fly around the stage. Yeah. They wanted the witches over the audience. Yeah. And we're talking 2001, so that's pretty – that's a big deal. Well, it's 2000 to begin with. So – a bunch of winches were erected over the audience in like a series of triangles so the three women could fly and it truly looked spectacular. Like they don't seem to move in any pattern too so it really does seem like this is not coordinated yes, in that yeah, way like it's yeah. really clever it's a revelation um they obviously use this technology then for like mary poppins yep. later on and i was
1: gonna that's what i was thinking of <clears throat>
0: yeah so it's quite beautiful to watch because it's the end of act one and obviously like daryl or well, the devil sort of gives them the power to fly but they're all in these beautiful ball gowns and they all just look stunning and then up they go and they're they're just sort of like clearly unsure of their abilities to fly yeah. so it's done really well yeah yeah and it just looks like breathtaking, so I'm actually a huge fan a fan of flying. Like, like watching on stage, that, I yeah. think it's magic, yeah. particularly when it comes out over the audience. Yeah. So,
1: well that Mary Poppins moment where she like comes in I and know. out, like is quite incredible. And you were
0: just like, "How? Yeah, how is this happening?" From literally
1: like the balcony, like yeah. yeah.
0: And so when you watch, like when it's it's in this documentary quite extensively, they talk about it. When you watch them prep for it, like the harnesses are so huge and the cables are so obvious, you're like, "Oh, this is not going to be that magical." But once you've got costumes and yeah. lights and like a bit of smoke out in the air you can't see any of it yeah like it does look really magical oh theater um so some other problems there are some inherent issues with the story yeah i think the character of daryl needs a complete overhaul for the show to really work um but otherwise it's just a really fun show he's just
1: a bit of a fuck with or
0: yeah and also like he shouldn't be the lead, but he is. Okay, he's definitely a with, but also like he—he's quite an evil character because like he—he he doesn't just create sort of havoc. He's not like a like an evil sprite. He literally like murders people and right. like so light murder. But he yeah, it's just some light murder. But I say light murder because he's presented as this like like funny sort of yeah, quirky. harmless yeah. yeah. It just doesn't work that way. Um, is it something you could fix
1: just in the playing of the character, or you think like there's like.
0: I think some of the numbers might have to change for that to happen. Like I think he was very much written for that purpose. But Mm. maybe um, it doesn't help that the book is a piece of shit and you oh, shouldn't okay. read it. So, Oh, like
1: the original book, sorry, not oh, the Oh, yeah, script. not the yeah. book. Of, that's right, the yeah.
0: novel. It is some of the most sexist shit that exists in this world. So in the book, the three witches share Daryl as their lover, which is not a problem, until he then marries, like, a teenager. Right. Um, the three women are then so pissed off that they decide to hex this poor teenage Ugh. girl and give her cancer. Oh, my God. She dies. Daryl then leaves town and the witches summon their own individual ideal man and leave town too. Like, what?
1: So that's how the book ends. Is that right? Yeah.
0: And so, like, okay, firstly, women are just not, like, that's not how women work. We don't just go and hex a woman who is clearly a victim of, well, a terrible man, but also, like, probably rape. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm at least glad that the musical attempted to sort of paint the dude as the problem. Like okay. very clearly in the musical he is the issue, not yeah. the women. Yeah. Um, rather than just like this idea that women are jealous.
1: Shrewish. Yeah, and yeah. just like fighting
0: over some dude and being bitchy. Like let's not perpetuate that. Yeah. So I'm glad that the musical is not like overtly doing that. Yeah. But I think still we, we've got a little way to go with fixing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so some gateway songs. Um, Despite not liking the message of this song, I think Make Him Mine has to be the first one you listen to. So it's a really great trio between the three witches. It's beautifully sung and the harmonies are just nice. Yes, yeah. I've definitely heard this one before. There is only the London cast recording. That's all you can listen to. That's what's on Spotify, so that's what I'm recommending. Um, Then I think you should listen to the two of the better female solos of the show. Firstly, Waiting for the Music to Begin. Yeah. It's this sexy song which is literally about playing a cello and having an orgasm. It's a ripper. Like, it's really good. It's, like, she literally has an orgasm in the song but also, like, the music sort of depicts that rise to an orgasm. Right. Uh, Then the heartbreaking song, Loose Ends. Yes. Um, Unfortunately, this song has been cut from many versions of the show. So why is that? So... I don't think it really makes sense for the character, actually. Um, I believe it was actually just added to give Maria Friedman something meaty to do. Okay, right. Because you can't have her in a show where she's clearly not the main witch. Yeah. So Suki, the character she played, is not really the main focus. Jane is the main focus. Okay. Um, Regardless, it is a bloody beautiful song. It does demonstrate just how clever Dempsey and Roe are, I think. Yeah. I think it's probably the best song they've ever written. Yeah, wow. Um. And that's Witches of Eastwick. Yeah,
1: awesome. Yeah. yeah. So
0: I really like it. I would actually like to do a production of yeah. the show.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I love any show that's like three central female characters, like, let's get some, you yeah. know, it's so, it's honestly quite rare in musical well, theatre. Dempsey
0: and Rowe talk about that when they were like, well, why did you choose this musical? And they both said, like, well, on the list of things Cameron McIntosh gave us, This is the only one that really had female focus. Yeah. Like everything else is just about a man. Yeah. And admittedly the original content is about them reacting to a man. But this, the way they did the show was really about them banding together and finding like common women. Okay. And that's important. Like let's tell stories about women finding women. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. In the end, that's kind of the vibe of the nine to five musical as well, which is quite nice. nice. Yeah. Like, and I I do remember when I saw that, I really enjoyed that aspect of the musical. Yeah. um, That it was very female. Well, like
0: Witches of Eastwick, nine to five still suffers from the male gaze. Like, I think we still haven't found a way to move it away from there. Yeah. Um, it doesn't help that all of the creators of the show were male.
1: Yeah. Um, like. I don't know if you've read much, just a bit of a tangent, but um, you know how Dirty Dancing was directed Female by case, a woman? Yeah. yeah. And how, like, it's one of the reasons they think it, has been such a successful like obviously one of the most successful like movies rom-com and, yeah. de- and movies of all time is because it was a, a the, done with the female gaze well, and so women just really relate yes. to it more
0: and a lot of women i don't think actually know that that's why we relate yes, to I it i agree well but i didn't it know is... it was
1: um female led until the last couple of years
0: well yeah and one, if you watch it again with the knowledge that once you understand sort of female and male gaze dirty dancing is very clearly yeah. through the female lens and it is about female empowerment yeah. is just about this woman every other person in her story is secondary to her yeah. and she is not subject to a man at all yeah at any time yeah um which is just unheard of. Yeah,
1: there were some really great examples. Was it that Harley Quinn? Yeah, uh, and there was the first film and the second film. And one was a male director, and one was a female director, yeah, and and, it's so clear, and they sort of man. showed these shots side by side and stuff. And yes. it's it's a really great example of it. If you're curious to look more at like what it looks like compared to each other, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, I would. We should explore that more. But obviously, what's difficult about exploring that is there is not much from the female gaze. No, and we're not just talking about female directors, but stories that are centered on a woman where. What are we? We're talking about the um, with fun home. What's the name of that? Um,
1: the- As in the woman who wrote the uh, Alison Bechdel or the Bechdel test. The
0: Bechdel test. Yeah. So like we were saying in that episode, there aren't many stories that pass the Bechtel test. Like it would almost
1: have to be an original musical by women. Like The
0: Waitress is probably a pretty good example of
1: one that is very much the female gaze. I would agree with that. Like both the original um, like writer of the film and the writers of the show. But once again, it's not just
0: about that. Like it's not about having a female author. Like it's got to be a story that isn't just about a man.
1: Yeah. That's right. Which
0: waitresses, to be fair.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's still like a love story, yeah. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Interesting. Very interesting. Hmm. Sorry. Sorry. uh, What are you wanting to talk about, Rhys? So
1: it's sort of, yeah, different but also in a kind of, you know, 2000s musical comedy which you call which you took a musical comedy in the oh, end
0: yes i suppose yeah but very much a 2000s musical comedy yeah
1: so this is i'm um, today i'm going to talk to you about dirty rotten scoundrels oh
0: i think so in the same vein yeah yeah i think definitely the same like family of musicals definitely yeah, yeah.
1: so um i don't really remember this show coming into my life, except that I've been obsessed with the song Great Big Stuff from it for, like, literal years, like for decades. You've talked about
0: it on here before. Yeah.
1: Um, I do remember that I saw the professional production of this when it was on in Sydney and loved it. It's just a really funny, clever show. When was
0: it on in Sydney?
1: 2013. Oh, wow. Yeah, nice. What do you think of it?
0: I love it. Yeah. I really love the original film. Yes. Um, I know that. And I, too, love Great Big Stuff. Yeah. I think I was just drawn to it because I love Norbert Leo Butts.
1: Absolutely. So then
0: I just listened to the whole thing and, and I And it was really probably love...
1: the peak of our, like, Norbert Leo Butts obsession.
0: Definitely. Well, And because it was
1: specifically the original Broadway cast starred Norbert Leo Butts and Sherry Renee Scott yeah. sort of directly after last five years, during our last five years obsession. Yeah. So... Can I
0: say, too, really silly, I liked the cover art of the album. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just sure. like like It was sort of graphic rather than a picture. I liked yep. that.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: I'm a simple creature.
1: <laughs> Love <laughs> it. So um, the musical The Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is based on the 1988 film of the same name, as Josephine mentioned. That film was directed by Frank Oz um, and starred Michael Caine and Steve Martin. Steve Martin, Like yeah. what a great cast. I know. Um, and that 1988. 88 film was itself a remake of the 1964 film Bedtime Story starring Marlon Brando and David Niven and it has since been remade in 2019 as The Hustle starring Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson oh shit that was a remake of those films yeah. I didn't know that yeah I don't think I did either I don't, I don't think, think I
0: knew about the original either the yeah Marlon really Brando, yeah yeah, yeah. Wow. so
1: I guess it's all just kind of a similar con man story yeah like it's it's too con, like you know two me yeah it's, it's also, all kind like, of similar. am
0: I gonna watch a film with hathaway and rebel wilson i don't think so (laughs) sorry
1: ouch (laughs) oh dear i i do think that anne hathaway gets a little bit more
0: bullshit than she should get like totally and i I think also like as a person i love what she stands for i love how vocal she is about say gay rights absolutely i just don't like her as an actress but
1: um i don't so much care for a (laughs) horse especially in cats <laughs> um, so, um Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. So, music and lyrics by David Yazbek and book by Jeffrey Lane. This is our second David Yazbek show. Um, I believe we've talked about after Josephine did the band's visit some episodes ago. Yes. Um, he, of course, also wrote The Full Monty, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, and Tootsie. And I think he is a fabulous composer. I love him. Love. Love. Um, Jeffrey Lane, who wrote the book, was primarily a TV writer in his career. But aside from Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, he also worked with David yazbek writing the book for women on the verge of a nervous breakdown
0: yes um
1: one just super random aside is he wrote a tv special called the murder of mary fagan which is of course the case (gasps) that the musical parade is based on like it was just like a random tv special about that and i just thought that was kind of funny (laughs) anyway so the, the so the story so the show is set in the french riviera and is about the meeting of con men Lawrence Jameson and Freddie Benson. Lawrence has heard that there is a legendary con man in town nicknamed the Jackal and assumes that, that that person is Freddie right after meeting him. Lawrence ends up deciding the town is not big enough for the two con men. And so they, instead they make a deal that the first to, um, of them to swindle a woman out of $50,000, gets to stay in town while the other has to leave. Love it. So after this, or like directly after this happens, the American soap queen, Christine Colgate, <laughs> arrives in town. That's what they call <laughs> her, the American soap queen. Um, and both men decide to pursue her, you know, as yes. the target of, um, of scam. the scam. Yeah. So Freddie pretends he's in a wheelchair and that there's only one doctor in the world who can help him. And of course, we find out that Lawrence is po- ends up posing as that doctor.
0: Fucking men.
1: Uh, in the end, after all like lots of shenanigans there, Christine is the one who scams both Lawrence and Freddie and it's revealed that she was the jackal all along.
0: Yeah, bitch. And they basically Get are like,
1: Oh well it was fun. <laughs> like they are like not that annoyed about it. They're no. like,
0: ah, oh, it was a great time. That's right. They're not threatened by a woman. <laughs> That's
1: right.
0: Who are these mythical men? Yes.
1: <laughs> so, some history. So, the, produ- the musical premiered at the Old Globe Theatre in San Diego, California on September 22nd, 2004. Nice. Before moving to Broadway in January 2005 and officially opening in March that year at the Imperial Theatre.
0: Don't you think it's such a Californian show? Like, it's such a Californian yeah. story. It's just got that. Yeah. Yes.
1: They're very kind of cool. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, the show closed on Broadway on September 3rd, 2006, after a total of 626 performances. Hmm. I couldn't see anywhere if it had recouped, but hmm. I imagine probably not. Like... It's like a year and a half. Um, and I think by those times, that wouldn't have been enough to recoup. No. Yeah. That's um, a shame. But also, not like a total flop. You know what I mean? Somewhere in between. So it was nominated for 11 Tonys at the 2005 Tony Awards. Oh, shit. Yeah, 11. In the end, it won only one. Um, which is a bit of shame, but it was for Norbert Leo Butts as yes, um, as Freddie Benson as Best Performance by a Leading Actor. God, he's good. Um, he also won the Drama Desk and Outer Critics Circle Awards for his performance. So, like, it was pretty universally, like, acclaimed. Yeah. Um, the 2005 Tonys was a strong year. How
0: many times have we talked? About this. Quite a
1: few. <laughs> so, well, actually, only once. Maybe, maybe for some shows that weren't nominated, we've yeah, talked okay. about it. But so it was. So, along with um, *Dirty Rotten Scoundrels*, nominated for Best Musical that year, was *Spamalot*, uh, which won Best yeah. Musical. Twenty-fifth Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Yes. And *The Light in the Piazza*. Nice. So the awards were actually pretty evenly spread throughout those shows that won, um, that were nominated for Best Musical. So each of those four shows won an acting category each. Like someone from each of them. I love that
0: that year they were like, let's spread it out. Yeah.
1: And although Spambalot won Best Musical, Light in the Piazza won Best Score and Spelling Bee won Best Book. So, like, it was really quite, I like that.
0: That's Very democratic.
1: (laughs) And they're all great shows. (laughs) They are. Yeah. So the show opened on the West End at the Savoy Theatre in London on March tenth, two 2014 and ran until March seventh, two 2015. It was nominated for two Olivier Awards but didn't win either and it wasn't nominated for any of the major awards. Like, it was like an act award and like um maybe like best costumes or something and I think it was like the woman who played Christine was nominated it wasn't even yeah either of the men yeah so I don't think it was it got good reviews but like just wasn't yeah I don't the public maybe just didn't sort of embrace it in London (laughs) um I think you may have mentioned these two excellent David Yazbeck facts in the band's visit episode, but he was a comedy writer before he quit to do music yeah. and won an, M- an Emmy as part of David Letterman's writing team. Yeah. So cool. So cool. Um, he also wrote the theme tune to where in the world is Carmen San Diego. I did. I mention think, that. I, know, I was like, I'm pretty sure Josephine mentioned these, but like there's such, such great facts. I have to mention them again. <laughs> like,
0: because I think as a kid, like I just know how da- the name David Yazbek looks on like credits from yeah. watching where in the world is come and say yeah Diego.
1: i used to watch that all the time i used to play
0: the and game the, the pc game yeah did you love it love i was obsessed with it well like you had to be good at geography and that's yes. something that i care about <laughs>
1: <laughs> um david Yesbeck has also been nominated for the best score tony for all five of his broadway shows which that's is awesome really quite incredible it is um, not even
0: sometimes had that yeah like i haven't
1: i haven't ever seen the full monty but i have seen the other four of his shows. Yeah. And I actually think they're all very deserving of those awards. So
0: different, too. Yes, exactly. Like really quite varied. Particularly, like,
1: I will say, like, uh, lots of them are quite brassy and like big, big bands, bands kind visit. of thing. But then the band's visit is not like that at all. No, Yeah. And mm. then the Four Monty can also almost be a bit country sometimes, can't it? Like it's. And it's, I don't
0: think Tootsie is like brassy, brassy. Oh,
1: I find Tootsie and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels fairly similar. They're
0: probably like the most American. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, the original cast on Broadway were, of course, amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Lithgow was Lawrence. I love John um, Lithgow. Uh, he's so great.
0: Harry and the Hendersons. Shout out.
1: <laughs> That's so that funny. was a, what a performance. Third rock from the sun.
0: No, Harry and the Henderson's room.
1: I'm sorry. Um, Norbert Leo Butts was Freddie, as we mentioned. Sherry Renee Scott was Christine Colgate. And it also featured Joanna Gleason. There's sort of like a B story that is her and another man.
0: Okay, can I just talk about Joanna Gleason? Uh, isn't
1: she incredible? Yes,
0: that's the end that's of my... That's it, right? <laughs> I love her. Yeah,
1: so good. Um, and all four of those performers were nominated for Tonys for their performances. Yeah, good. Like, good, incredible. Good. Um, guess who replaced John Lithgow on Broadway?
0: Oh, am I go- is it Jonathan Price? It's Jonathan Price! Oh He's haunting us. He is. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well, there's another crazy? unproblematic cast Yeah, of Jonathan Price. Exactly. That's two. Um, some other fun
1: replacements yeah. are that Keith Carradine replaced Jonathan Price oh, as nice. Lawrence. And um I also didn't know that um Keith Carradine is Martha Plimpton's um father. Oh. Did you know that? No, I just, it's super random, but I was like, I did not know that anyway. Yeah.
0: Oh, the whole world Um, is (laughs) related.
1: Yeah, that's random. Um. Joanna Gleason was replaced by Lucy Arnaz, nice. um, daughter of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. And I wrote, I believe she was also in Witches of East. We can love <laughs> she it. She was. Um, and Norbalia Butts was replaced by Brian Darcy James, um, who also would have been love. excellent. Yes. And then I just wrote this note about Keith Carradine. I didn't know until researching this that he's Martha Plimpton's father. He had an affair with her mother at the age of 19 when they were in hair together on broadway oh, wow. um and he wasn't involved with her life in her life for several years but then um sort of you know came into it came into yeah. it yeah and wow. has been ever since but yeah like that's weird yeah it's super random anyway mm. um so yeah I, like in sort of also talking about which the face as well so this was in that real heyday of like Big, showy mm. Broadway musical comedies that had a real resurgence in the 2000s yeah. in a way that hasn't really happened since. No. Um, I think of this as in the same category as, like, The Producers and Spamalot, yeah. Hairspray, Drazzy Chaperone even. Definitely. And I don't know what it was that these shows, like, aren't done as much now. Maybe they just ran out of films to adapt or, like...
0: <laughs> they definitely haven't. Yeah. Well, But, but like they're, like, they're expensive shows.
1: Yeah. But I just have such a soft spot for that Me sort too. of musical theatre. Uh, I also think that they're really... Really fantastic sorts of shows for amateur theatres to do. This is uh, what I
0: was thinking as I was doing Witches of East Week. Like, yeah. an amateur society should do this show. Yeah. Like, because it's not like, it's, they, they're often not that, like, I know this sounds funny, but they're like
1: two hours. Like, yeah. they're not like three and a half hours. Do you know,
0: I think um, Honeymoon in Vegas is in the same category. Yeah. And I think it- there's a reason why it didn't do so well is because that. Too is, late. It's too late. Yeah. It came 10 years too late. Yeah. Even
1: Tootsie, probably. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And Similarly. not just because
0: they're film adaptations, but because they're that type of film. And interestingly, so both Tootsie and Honeymoon in Vegas got very
1: good reviews. Yeah. And neither of them performed didn't well. Didn't resonate with, the audience. with, with yeah. audiences. That's right. Yeah. Well, they're both good yeah. shows. Exactly. I'm not
0: really what people are watching yeah, anymore
1: absolutely um i do hope it comes back i don't yeah. know if like maybe post covid like because post nine, like a lot of it was that like post 9-11 like
0: nostalgia yeah. for comforting things and people
1: not wanting to watch like serious dramatic yes, definitely yeah. yeah and so yeah it'll just be interesting to see like producers had opened pre-9-11 but it was kind of the show that really like brought everyone back to the theater yes. afterwards yeah. so um so the other thing I want to mention is so there was a professional production in Sydney in 2013 that was at the Theatre Royal in the MLC Centre and it was seriously great like it got amazing reviews including the Sydney Morning Herald saying it was the best musical to hit Sydney this century wow like that's what they said and despite all of that it was attended really poorly and closed early Who and who's in
0: the cast of that
1: like i know amy la Palmer was yeah. like um matt hetherington i think was the Nobileo butts role i'm forget oh i i might be like Reg Livermore or someone was oh, yeah. Some, yeah like like, like some like a sort musical of elder theater, statesman yeah, yeah um person i remember and it was like it was so good right yeah. and i just remember that the fact that it got such good reviews and still, like, no one went. Yeah. I remember that being a real turning point in my estimation of Australian audiences for <laughs> commercial musicals. Like, honestly. I'm amazed that
0: it took that long for you. Like, 2013, that's not that long ago. Yeah. Uh, but I lost like, faith
1: much earlier. Particularly in Sydney, I think, um, where it's just not – we just don't have that, like, taste level that you know, we we're need. we're not discerning. And this is also, I guess, like, still just just pre the Hayes opening as well. Like, yes. which I think was 2014 or 2015. And so – it was kind of like either you did a commercial musical or you were doing amateur independent theatre, and yeah. there was kind no of nothing in come. between, yeah. you know, yeah. um, of any sort of standard. Like I guess, like Squabble Logic was out there doing their thing, and they were Kookaburra really good. For a
0: couple of days, yeah,
1: but that's still like proper commercial theatre, Kookaburra, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's just that thing of like, God, if 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 a, if a reviewer at one of the biggest newspapers in Australia, if not the biggest, turns around and says the best musical of this century and still no one goes, yep. that's a real issue. And it's a,
0: it's a film that people would have known. Like yeah. it's not like that's it's, right. it's nothing that, yeah. yeah.
1: So that was just my real like what hope does anything have like None, moment. None it turns yeah. out. Yeah. Um, but Thank I just, God yeah. we've seen
0: Priscilla 75 times. I, it's so funny. You keep
1: mentioning that and I do not think of Priscilla as being like it makes
0: me so mad. that
1: type of show. Well, it just
0: makes me mad that it keeps coming back. It's a show that Australians are happy to watch. But that honestly, makes me sad. it's
1: not. Well, like, not it anymore, didn't do very so. well this last time. And yet,
0: we continue to bring it back.
1: Yeah. I just, I to me, it's more like it's got to be a Disney show or it's got to be Les Mis or it's got to be Phantom. Yeah. Like, to me, that is a much bigger thing than going, let's bring back, like, the most successful Australian musical of all well, time. Well, speaking of,
0: Phantom is coming back. So, yeah. Like, true. What yeah. The hell? Yeah. Mm.
1: So it's, um, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting one. But yeah, I don't sort of yeah. lump Priscilla in as much with those categories. Just, I think because it is Australian, I, I kind of get it. Like, yeah. I get why they do it. But it's bad. Um, yeah, well, it's a jukebox musical, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. they're not very good. They're not, they really not. <laughs> At the end of the day, they're not very good, you know.
0: So do you have gateways for us? Yeah,
1: so there's only one recording. That's just the original mm. Broadway cast. Um, and my gateways are, so that Great Big Stuff song that I mentioned uh, is like such, such a fucking good song. Like yeah, 100%. If you are like a um, young a character, human. actor, and you want a good, um, really showy song, this is a great one. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really fantastic. And Norbert Leo Butts sings the shit out of it. Um, I've also included a duet that I've always loved called Love Is My Legs, which is basically the moment where Freddie's pretending that he can't walk and that Christine's love is going to get him out of the wheelchair yes. to walk. And it is hilarious, but it's also them like belting to the high heavens yeah. the whole song. Like it's it's really fantastic. And then the last song is um, Dirty Rotten Number, yes, which is I the, love that the one. duet between John Lithgow and um, Norbert Leo Butts. And it's just sort of them singing about their. Yeah. exploits and everything and, and it's Such fantastic as well it's really fun i almost put the overture oh, um, yeah. because it's a, also a fantastic overture i mm-hmm. think i might have listed it in our favorite overtures too. on the mixtapes yeah but it's um it's a really great overture <laughs> um but yeah, yeah. that's dirty rotten scoundrels
0: nice yeah i think i forget about it sometimes yeah
1: absolutely mm. there's also a there's a track on the cast recording which is like um there's going to be spoil like, like it's just John Lithgow talking and he's like there's going to be spoilers after this section so if you haven't seen the show go and buy a ticket Aww, like it's quite cute, cute. That's yeah cute. it's really cute so Aww. yeah don't
0: any chance scoundrels? to hear Norbert and Cherie, Cherry and I know like two voices that I don't think should go together but they do.
1: They're just so talented. Too they don't talented. make them like that anymore. They don't.
0: They really don't. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thank you. Uh, this has been My Favourite Musical. You can contact us on email at myfavoritemusical@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can get to us on Twitter. You can get to us on Instagram. Yeah. We have all of our playlists are available on Spotify. If you follow Ruth, her username is Curtain Bounce. So you can just search my favorite musical. And there's one
1: massive playlist of all of our Gateway songs on there as well. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is fun. it's um, yeah. a
0: big playlist now. It is a big playlist. We will be in your ears next week with a mixtape, yep. and then we will see you again in a fortnight for a main episode. See you then. See ya. Bye. Bye. <laughs>